This is it, y'all. This is the last series, the last um, message in this series. I wore the matching shirt. Don't you love that? Um, let it snow. And um, it's also the last Sunday of the year, the last Sunday of the decade. It's, the, it's got me thinking about last things. Um, when I was, and all, most of all the kids are out, right? So when I was um, your, age, your age and the last present under the tree, depressing, right? Um, waking up the day after Christmas, depressing. It was like, oh, it's over. You know, I mean, anybody feel, anybody, were you like that growing up? Anybody still like that? <laughs> like last things. Um, sometimes you don't even know you're going through last things. So, you know, I'm a big, I love snow, right? We were talking about that earlier. Like we can't be friends anymore because you were telling me all the snow that you know that people are getting right now. Um, I love snow. We never, it's like we hardly ever get snow. So snow here happens like what? End of February, 1st of May. Like anywhere in between there, we'll have some snow. And like you want to cherish it because, because it might be the last one or only one that we get, right? Um, but you don't necessarily know. Like if, if we walked out today, it'd be a miracle. If we walked out today and it was snowing, like not the fake stuff, but the real stuff. If it was snowing, we'd all be like, this is exciting. But we would think probably there's another one coming. So sometimes you can't even appreciate last things because you don't know that they're last things. Is this making sense? Are you with me? But we know that this is the last this is it. This is the end of a year. This is the end of a decade. This is the end of something. And so, like, when I think about 2019, don't raise your hands, but, but a lot of us said goodbye. We're saying goodbye to a year. Maybe we're saying goodbye to a season of our lives. Some of us in this room have said goodbye to people, um, maybe through death, maybe just because the relationships ended. We're saying goodbye. Like, and so when you, when you talk to somebody, like, it's the last conversation you have, don't you lean in a little bit? Like, what, what, this could be really important. This could be the last thing we say. Or when you're communicating something, I know, like, when we had conversations right before the boys went off to college, that, it felt a little weightier. It was like, it's not the last conversation, but this is an important conversation. Like, you start going, like, look at me, right? Like, lean in. And so this morning on this last Sunday, I just want to invite you to lean in a little bit, okay? We're going to be in, a, in Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to look at three verses. We're going to really dig into these three verses because what I want you to see is what Scripture makes very clear. And that is that even though last things can be filled with a lot of emotion, because Jesus is in our lives, next things can be filled with a lot of hope, right? And there's a lot of hope, y'all. There's a lot of hope going into a new year. How much hope is there? So much hope, yes. How many of you are like, I've been praying for the last things when it comes to puns, right? Could that be the last pun? Snow way, y'all, snow way. So we're, we're in Philippians 3. Right in the middle of Philippians 3, right in the middle of that chapter are three verses that I want to read to you right now. And then we're going to just kind of, we'll pray, and we'll kinda, we're really going to chew on these verses. Are y'all good with that? So if you're a note taker, today might be a day you can, you can jot down a, a good number of things. Um, we'll be in Scripture most of the time. Here we go, Philippians chapter 3. Verses 12 through 14. I'll try not to talk so fast. Here we go. I don't mean to say, I can't do it. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past 
and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So we're going to dig into that, and I'm going to try to give you some end-of-the-year takeaways, okay? So let's pray, and we'll ask Jesus to help us. Father, now this is your word. It's not mine. Uh, you, God, have truth here for us. And so we come confidently to your word. We're looking eagerly. We're leaning in because here Paul's writing about forgetting something and pressing towards what's ahead, the end of one thing, the beginning of something else. These are last days. These are last words. And so we want to lean in. We want to eat all the meat that you have for us in these verses. We want all of the truth, God. And so we pray right now that you would open our hearts and our minds as we look and listen to you. Speak through me, God, I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we're, listen, we're going to go verse by verse, okay? So we're going to start in, with verse 12. Um, here's what Paul says. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things. So if you're reading the Bible, you, you need to be reading it, asking yourself questions, right? So sometimes we just kind of gloss over stuff. But when he says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things, we need to stop right there and ask ourselves a question. And anybody know what the question is? What things, right? Uh, this has nothing to do with the message, but yesterday I was looking on Twitter and there was a little thread of all the, all the, um, the slang terms that should just go away before we go into the new decade. And all the things was one of them, right? Just please, please stop saying all the things. So he says, I've not achieved these things. We have to ask ourselves what things. And to get the answer to that, we're going to look back at the first 11 verses. So the 11 verses that went before the one we just read contain some of those things that Paul says, I've not fully achieved these yet, right? I haven't attained these things yet. And so what are those things? I think there's probably more than four. I'm praying that maybe this week as you read over these 11 verses, God might show you a couple more. But here are the four that I came up with. In verse 1, it says this, Whatever happens, my, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. What's one of the things that Paul says I've not fully achieved yet? Joy in Christ. Joy in Christ. Verse 2 through 4, he says this, Watch out for these dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. So Paul's basically saying this. If anybody can boast about the life that they've lived, it's me. But I'm not going to do that because I don't put any confidence in the things that I've done. I put confidence in what Jesus has already done. So in these three verses, what's another thing that Paul is referencing? He's referencing confidence in Christ. Now, listen, we're not going to diagram circumcision. <laughs> Everybody say, yay, amen, right? But, but circumcision, what's happening in, this, in this, these verses is he's talking to men who said, look, if you, if you come to follow Christ and you're not Jewish and you've not been circumcised and you have to do that before you can actually become a follower of Christ. And Paul's saying, time out, no way. You don't add anything to what Jesus has already done. If anybody could, it would be me and I'm not even doing that. We don't add anything to what Jesus has done. What did he say? We have confidence in what Christ has done for us. I put no confidence in what I've done for myself. He goes so far as to call these people dogs. I know that's just part of our 
terminology, right? I'm like, you're such a dog, right? He calls them dogs. And here, here's it's not what he was thinking, but dogs hurt people, right? Dogs can bite people. I know because that was my leg three years ago. Like, that happened up in Ohio. Don't go to Ohio. Just running along, and a little dog about that high came running up to me, and I, I was sure he was going to be my friend right until he did that, right? It's like dogs bite, dogs hurt. There's pain involved. And listen, what I want you to see is anytime you begin to feel the pressure that you have to do something to earn your salvation, you're going to get bitten. If you hear a preacher teach you that you have to do something to earn your salvation, you're going to get bitten. That is man's way to God. That's not God's way. What is God's way? It was Jesus on the cross. That's what we talked about last week, the simpleness of the gospel. How simple is it? Snow simple, right? It's so simple. We needed a Savior, and God sent Jesus, and he paid for our sins on the cross. Paul's saying this. Look, we don't put confidence in what we did. We're putting confidence in Christ. A third thing that he references, verse 8, he says this, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Verses 10 and 11, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. The important word here is knowing. When he says, I want to know Christ, right? So that word knowing in the Greek, it's a little Bible history for you. The New Testament is written in Greek. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And then somebody, um, some men put together a book called the Septuagint. And the Septuagint actually takes all the Greek and, and, and makes it, the whole Bible is written in the same language. And so the, the Greek word here for knowing is used in the Old Testament of the Septuagint for the word covenant. What does that tell us? No, really, I'm hoping you'll tell me. No, I'm kidding, I know. What it tells us is that what he's talking about is relationship, right? So it's not just knowing more about Jesus, but it's relationship with Jesus. And so one of the, another thing that Paul's referencing when he says, I've not attained and achieved all these things, is relationship with Christ. He's not saying I'm not saved. What he's saying is I can know him more. I can have more relationship with him. It's just like me and Wendy, like we're married and I know her, but I want to really get to know her more, right? Your marriages, your relationship should be like that. There's always more to learn. And how do we learn it? Verses 10 and 11, right? Shared experiences. What are some shared experiences that we have that bond us to people? Survivor would be one, right? If, we were on, if you were on Survivor, if you, even if you didn't win, you'd like have a shared experience, right, of um, starvation. Maybe um, skydiving. What about people that go through, like, go through an accident together? People that get bad news at the same time. These shared experiences, they tend to bond us, don't they? And what Paul says is, I want to have a shared experience with Jesus. I want to share in his death. I want to share in his suffering so that I can also share in his resurrection. These are just all terms about the relationship with Christ, and that's a third thing. And then the last one that I found is in verse 9. Paul says, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. That goes back to works. I'm not trying to earn this. Rather, I become righteous, how? Through faith in Christ. So there's another thing. There's a fourth thing, faith in Christ. 
How is that different from confidence in Christ? So confidence is, I know this will work. Faith is proving it, right? We, we, the collective church in America, we are so good at being confident in what we know, but not using faith to demonstrate it, right? And so what Paul's saying is, I'm not just confident in Christ, but I'm putting my faith in Christ. Those are just four things. I'm sure there's more, but those are four. So when he says at the beginning of verse 12, he says, look, I I have not already achieved these things. I've not already reached perfection. Those are the things he's talking about. It reminded me of, that just feels like the kind of thing we would say at the end of a year, doesn't it? I had some goals. I haven't made them. I haven't met them, right? Some of you are like, I was going to go to the gym more. (laughs) I was going to be vegan, right? I was going to eat healthier. I was going to whatever. We tend to put that, like, I had these goals and I haven't quite achieved them. And what Paul's saying is, I've not quite achieved these things. And so the question is, when we have goals and we haven't met them, what would Paul, the Holy Spirit through Paul, what would he instruct us to do? Two words, it's not. Give up, right? So what Paul didn't say was, um, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things and I haven't achieved them and so I'm just going to quit. What did he say? He says, I press on. I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. What does the word press mean? It means this. It means to set in rapid motion, to ride, to press forward, and to run. That's a, that's a loaded word, isn't it? So not to make anybody feel bad, okay, because I know it's the last Sunday of the year, and we just had Christmas, and how many of you ate way too much, right? So we're all kind of in, a, in this, like, dazed food coma state, right? So I get that. We all need more sleep. But what Paul's saying is we're not barely making it to the next year. He said this, I've not quite achieved what I want to achieve, and so I'm going to light a match and pour some rocket fuel and into the next season of my life. I'm going to set in rapid motion. I'm going to ride. You hear that word, the, the energy of that word? So we're not just like barely making it into the next year. We're going into the next year with purpose. We're going into the next year with passion. We're going to make it to the next year simply because we're not dragging into it. The future is not happening to us. We're going to happen to it. That's what Paul's saying. So how do we do that? Verse 13. Verse 13 shows us how we press on. Because the end of verse 12 and the beginning of verse 14 mentions this word pressing, right? So he's, he's kind of making this little sandwich. He says, hey, I'm going to press on. I'm going to ride at rapid motion. I'm going to set in motion. I'm going to launch myself into the next season. And then he tells us how he does that. And here's what he says. By focusing on this one thing. So ask yourself another question. What's the one thing that he wants us to focus on? What's the one thing that will help us press into what God's called us to have? What's the one thing that can help us set in rapid motion all the things that can help us have the things, right? And here it is. I'm going to call, I made up a term. I'm calling it forget forward. We've got to learn how to forget forward. Now let's tear apart verse 13. Paul says this, I focused on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting forward. The Greek word for forgetting, guess what it doesn't mean? Amnesia. 
right? It doesn't mean amnesia. How many of you have forgotten things? You like literally, if your life depended on it, you could not remember it for, you couldn't, right? So that's forgetting. And sometimes that happens as you get older, or in my case, all my life, right? But that's not what, that's not what Paul's talking about. The Greek word that he used here for forgetting has nothing to do with your memory capability. It has nothing to do with amnesia, nothing like that. Here's what it means. It literally means to not recall information about a particular matter. This is a word that it's an intentional decision to not play over and over and over again the video of 2019 in our context, right? Now, listen, if there's anything that the church is good at, if there well, people, let's don't say the church. If there's anything that people are good at, we are really good at talking about the same things over and over again. Have you noticed that? Don't raise your hand because you could be sitting next to them. But how many of you just came from a family reunion over the holidays and most of the conversation was stuff that you already knew? It was conversation that was centered around something that somebody said at another previous family get-together, right? I would, be, I would love to see somebody, maybe one of you, like some younger people can come up with a great way to do this, some sociological study that could actually determine the percentage of our conversations that are about things we've already talked about. And it, I, I bet the number would be high. I bet what we'd find is that we do a lot of talking about things we already know and not much talking about what we don't. And what Paul's saying is you've got to make a decision to, to intentionally not recall information about a particular matter. And sometimes what happens is we get so tied to the past because we're replaying our worst moment. Or we're replaying our best moments, Right? Um, I bet you know somebody who's like about my age, and when you have conversations with them, they talk about that touchdown pass that they caught in high school that won the game of the year, and you're like, dude, that's awesome. What have you done for 30 years? Well, for 30 years, they've been replaying that same thing over and over again. And when Paul says forget what lies behind, he's saying, stop doing that. Or people who have experienced trauma or something really painful. And I'm not minimizing it. I'm just saying that if that's where we're stuck, then that's all we talk about. Or every time you get together with somebody, you talk about the third person who's not there that offended you. And you say the same thing all the time. Paul's saying you've got to make a decision to not do that. To forget what lies behind, not because you have amnesia, but because you've responsibly made a decision to not replay that over and over and over again. And why would we do that? Because forgetting forward means we're not regretting the past because we're too busy reaching for the future. So what Paul says is, look, forget the past and reach forward. Look forward. And the Greek for looking forward, thank goodness, is not about eyesight. Anybody here got vision that's worse than it was a couple years ago? I'm so glad that this isn't about eyesight. This is not about, well, hey, look forward. Had the best eyesight. Make sure you got 20, 20, 20, 10, 20, whatever, so you can see clearly. No, it's not about that at all. The Greek word actually means to extend ourselves to reach for something worth reaching for. Not my proudest moment, but when I was um, younger, I, was, I painted it's how I got through seminary and through schooling. I painted. And so I can remember, um, anybody ever painted, like, as a job? Like, 
so when I say 40-foot ladder, you know what I'm talking about, right? Okay. So a 40-foot ladder is high, right? And so you would, they're heavy. You'd like set those things up. You land against, you got like a little hook for your bucket of paint. This is how we did it back in the day. And so you climb up with all that stuff. You'd hook it at the top. It's a process to set the 40-foot ladder, get to the top of it. And when you get to the top of it, if you're a really good painter, you're not scared of heights, you can get quite a bit painted. If you're me... It's like, if this is the end of the ladder, like, I'm scared to reach. Like, I'm clinging to the ladder, and, like, it's crazy. But the longer you paint, the more you get used to being on a 40-foot ladder, and the more you don't want to come down that ladder to move it one more time. So if you get to the end of the whatever you're painting, I can remember being at the top of that ladder, and I'm reaching, and I can't quite reach it, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, literally, I have two inches left. I'm going to have to go down this ladder and move it over and come back up and hook the thing up. And so what I would do is, don't try this at home, I would extend my left leg out so I could extend my paintbrush that way on a 40-foot ladder, y'all. This is me on a 40-foot ladder. Not smart. So that's the picture that Paul's painting for us here. Not to be stupid, right, but, but fully extended. Um, anybody here into football? If you're into football, you'll see today, if you're watching some pro games, at some point, some receiver is going to put their feet down, and they're going to reach beyond the line to catch the ball while they keep their feet inbounds. They're going to fully extend to make the catch. And Paul's saying this. He's saying, look, fully extend yourself toward something. Stop remembering the past and fully extend yourself toward something. And what we find in verse 14 is that the something isn't a something. It's a who. It's a who. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Can we all agree that the ultimate prize is Jesus forever? That's the ultimate prize, right? So when we get to heaven, we're, we're going to be like, hey, God, what's next? He's like, there's no what's next. It's Jesus. Like, there's Jesus. And we're like, oh, it's Jesus, Yes. That's the ultimate prize. So if that's the ultimate prize, then he's always the prize. We don't have different prizes down here. He's always the prize. He, so a lot of things you're going to hear in the next couple of weeks, things like um, find your new you in the new year, right? This will be my best year yet. I know those are cool phrases. I just think they're, they're useless if you don't start at Jesus, if you aren't willing to start with Jesus, you're never going to find your best you. You're never going to have a new you if you're not willing to start with Christ. And so what Paul's saying is that's where it begins. It begins with Jesus. And that's where we find our best selves is in Christ. What Paul's saying is that he's going to extend himself as far as possible in order to be as close as possible to Jesus. That's the goal. The things he still hasn't quite attained, they're all found in Christ. Let me ask you this question. What will you do in the new year to fully extend yourself? Picture yourself on top of that 40-foot ladder. To fully extend yourself, reach as far as possible in the areas of joy in Christ, confidence in Christ, relationship in Christ, and faith in Christ. What will you do to get the prize? And can we talk about that word prize? The heavenly prize for which I love prizes. Don't y'all love prizes? Oh, I was expecting more, honestly, right there. Wow. Well, I like prizes. So I get cereal boxes when I was a kid just to get the prize, right? I dumped the cereal out just to get that prize in the box. 
So he, he, we want to receive the heavenly prize. So that Greek word for prize, now hang with me. The Greek word for prize, do you know what it means? Prize. Prize. It means pri- the prize of conflict is literally what it means. The prize of conflict. And what is, what is Paul saying? Is he saying that conflict is a prize? How many of you have been through conflict? Would you agree with me that that's not the prize? <laughs> like, we don't wake up in the morning going, today I hope I have conflict. That's not the prize. The prize of conflict is what you get when you go through it. What you need to understand is you're not going to get the prize the easy way. It doesn't come that way. Jesus is revealed in us even in the struggles, right? We, talked, we prayed about this earlier, the three Hebrew men that were put into the fire. That's where they found the prize. They were in the fire, and suddenly there was a fourth man there. He looks like Jesus. That's where they found the prize. We try to get out of those situations, and God wants to reveal himself in those situations. The good news is this. The struggles that you faced in 2019, according to this verse, could very well be part of the conflict that sets you up in 2020 to receive the prize. Man, that's good news. That means no no matter how bad 2019 was, 2020 could be the year that you begin to see part of that prize, the prize of conflict. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. He said that we are always, Christ is always leading us to triumph. Always. It means that this is a year that is full of hope. And here's why. Because last big idea of the year. You're going to love it. Ready? Because snow matter what. The best is yet to come, right? So no matter what, the best is yet to come. This is the promise of the verses that we're looking at. Whether you had a great year in 2019 or a horrible year doesn't even matter because whatever 2019 was, 2020, according to Scripture, is going to be better. And here's two, two reasons from Scripture why it's better. Because it moves us closer to Jesus in these two areas. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Paul writes this, so all of us who have had that veil removed and can see and reflect the glory of the Lord, and the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. That's the promise, right? So here's what it means. One year from today, if you're rooted in Christ if you're forgetting what's in the past, not replaying the highlights and the lowlights, and you're extending yourself towards Jesus, then one year from today, 366 days from today, because 2020 is a leap year, you're going to look more like Jesus. How do you do that? Well, you have to work really hard at it. No, you don't. When's the last time you were walking in an orchard, an apple orchard, and you heard the trees groaning? They were like, ah! Ah! they don't groan to produce fruit. They just produce fruit. It's in who they are. It's in the tree. It's, they're made that way. God created them. If their roots are in the soil and they're healthy, they're going to produce fruit. They don't have to try What we're reading now, these are promises for our lives. If we're in Christ, we don't have to strive to look like Jesus. We will look like Jesus. And this time next year, you'll look more like Jesus. Look at the person next to you right now. 
Do they look like Jesus? Probably not as much as you would like. And they're thinking the same thing about you. But this time next year when they're sitting in that seat, they would look just, they would look even more like Jesus. Here's one more area. Proverbs 4.18 says this. Anybody ever prayed for God, like, God, what's your will for my life? Show of hands. Anybody ever prayed that prayer? Anybody still praying that prayer? <laughs> God, what's your will for me? Check this out. This is a great promise. Proverbs 4.18 says, the way of the righteous, if you're in Christ, you're righteous. The way of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, which shines ever brighter until the full light of day. I never really understood that verse until I started running. Running in that verse have nothing to do with each other. Let me explain a little bit more. I run in the mornings, so I, I tend to, I like to run when it's dark because I feel like I'm doing people a favor, right? I don't think people need to see me running, right? So I try, I go when it's dark, I, I wear this like vest, it, LED lights, it lights, it really, it's super cool. That might be the reason why I run in the morning because I love wearing that vest. Anyway, when I go running, when I go out the door, it's dark, and, and, and as I'm running, what I've learned, it's amazing the things you learn, I guess, in school, but you don't pay attention. But when you start to apply it in life, you're like, oh, that's what it means. I learned as I was running that um, light doesn't come at sunrise. I know you're all like, duh. But it was really, it blew my mind that light comes before the sun comes up. It's called dawn. Huh, who knew? <laughs> you're like, everybody but you, idiot, right? It's called dawn. So, like, when I go running, I'll notice that it's super dark. I can't see anything. I'm wearing that light vest so that people won't hit me with their cars because even though they have headlights, for whatever reason, they still can't see me. Weird, I know. But the longer I run, the light starts to kind of just come in a little bit. I can see a little bit ahead of myself. I still wear that vest because, you know, Santa County drivers, right, y'all? I mean, they're crazy. So, But the longer I run, eventually the sun breaks, and then there's just light. There's light everywhere. I can actually turn that vest off. And that's what this verse is talking about. The way of the righteous is just like that. See, we pray for God to show us his will right now, all of it. And that's not how he does it. The way he does it is there's a little bit of light. There's some dawn. It just kind of just enough. And you're like, wow, I can see a little bit. And then as the sun rises, there's more and more and more light. It's a progressive revealing. So here's what it means for you and me. This time next year, if you're rooted in Christ, if you're planted in his, and he's nourishing you and you're growing without even striving, without even trying, without adding anything to it, because what did Paul say? We're not going to be like the dogs. We're not going to put confidence in who we are and what we've done. Our confidence is in what Christ has done. And if we're living that way, extending ourselves towards Jesus like that, the promise is that 366 days from today, you'll know more about God's plan for your life than you do right now. That's a great promise, y'all. That's a phenomenal promise from Scripture that we don't have to work for or try to earn. Increased transformation and increased direction, those are just two benefits of continually following Jesus the way that Paul wrote in Philippians 3. Simply saying this, God, I'm not going to keep playing over and over and over and over again the highlights and the lows. I'm actually going to create a new reel in 2020. I'm not going to hold on to the past. I'm going to reach towards the future. I'm sure the Holy Spirit can show you more than just that. I'm praying that he will. I know he will. All it takes on your part and my part is one simple decision, and here it is. We have got to decide to keep the fork. 
there was a woman I read about who was dying of cancer. And as she was making preparation for her funeral, she called her pastor over. And he met with her in her living room. And so he said, honey, I'm a lady like, what would, honey, what would you like to have at your funeral? Like, what kind of music, what kind of songs? And she was like, Pastor, you, you can do anything you want to, but here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You've got to make sure that when they put me in the casket, and they can dress me however they want to, but you've got to make sure that they put a fork in my right hand. And he was like, um, okay, I mean, we'll do that, but why? And she said, oh, so like, you know, all these years in church, like, I've been to so many fellowship dinners and so many potluck suppers. I love those. And she said, my favorite part of the meal is when they start taking my dishes away, and somebody always leans over to me, and they'll always tell me this, hey, listen, keep your fork. The desserts are coming. And she said, I knew, like, if keeping my fork meant, like, the, like, better stuff was coming. And, like, usually it might be chocolate cake or it might be, like, apple pie. And she said, at my funeral, I want people to look in the casket, and I want them to see me holding this fork, and I want them to ask you, Pastor, what's up with that fork? And I want you to tell them. She wanted me to tell you to keep your fork because the best is yet to come. Listen, no matter what you've been facing this year, the best is yet to come. You just got to make a decision to keep your fork. And I want to pray this morning that you do that. That you go into a new year with expectation. Not remembering the good or the bad of 2019. And not being so doggone thankful it's over that you miss the promise. That in 2020, no matter what happened in the previous year, the best is yet to come. In this new decade, the best is yet to come. You just got to keep your fork. Father, right now in this room as we close this out we thank you first of all for all of the many good things that have happened in our lives in this past year and all the many things that have happened in this in this decade this is a great decade lord this is the year this is the decade that this church was started a lot of good things have happened in this decade but god nothing that has happened to this point is as good as what's coming and so we make a decision to remember what you've done to remember who you are because who you've been just points us to who you'll be and you are a God who is setting us up for hope in the future because you're already there and you already see it thank you for the promise God of a fork a simple fork that we use so many times during the day. And I pray every time those of us in this room pick up a fork, that we would remember the best is yet to come. Because that's your promise. In your name, Jesus. Church, I'm going to ask you just to, oh, you want to say something? You are like a ninja. Wow. Okay. Yeah, come on. Come on up here. That scared me also. I tried to play it off. All right. This is Catherine. Everybody say, hey, Catherine. So I have a short testimony for you um, that I was probably supposed to say whenever we prayed earlier before the service started, but I didn't want to. But then the whole entire service, I could think nothing but this. Sorry, Paul. I'll go back and listen to it later. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, so... At the beginning of service, Pastor Paul had laid on his heart that he wanted to pray over people who 
were going through a trial, but then like how God can use you in that trial to show Jesus to people. And this past year, um, I had that happen to me. I was able to be used by God to show someone that it doesn't matter what thing you're going through or how hard a situation is, God can be in that moment. And it was a non-believer and that had not ever happened to me before. So I'll kind of set it up real quick. So I was in this biology class, I am in college. <laughs> um, it's the last biology class that I had to take in order to receive a minor in biology. I knew I was supposed to be in that class, so I knew that no matter what the class threw at me, I was gonna get through it and I was gonna make the grade I needed in order to get this biology minor because I had prayed about it, my family prayed about it, I had a big support system at home um, praying over me with this, so I knew that it didn't matter what happened in the class, I was gonna get through and I was gonna be fine. Well, um, I have a, in my lab group, it was me and um, this other guy, his name is William, he's married and um, he is a non-believer and every day that I had him in this class he was always extremely negative extremely frustrated um, having a hard time because he's trying to do like a married life thing at home plus do school wants to go to PT school he's in all these extremely hard biology classes so he just felt beaten down all the time like literally he would be like slumped over like this like all the time and um, no matter what happened oh, on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, I would walk past William, going to my favorite class of the day, um, while he was leaving his hardest class of the day. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, we had biology together, the genetics class that we were in. And then on Fridays, we had lab together. And in lab, every day, he would comment of something about how I was so positive and this, that, and the other, and I like I love to smile, and I love to make people happy by smiling at them, and because they have to smile back. <laughs> um, but anyway, I was just being myself and thinking nothing of it, and God was able to use that. He kept commenting about how, like, oh, I'm just I'm being optimistic, or this, that, or the other. Or why are you not Why are you not frustrated right now? She, the teacher, just told us we had to X Y Z before we left class today, and I'm like. Well, if XYZ means getting a 10 out of 20 on a quiz, then that's not gonna hurt me in this class because I'm supposed to get a minor, so it'll be fine. But he was always confused by that. And I began to get irritated, <laughs> believe it or not. I was irritated that, <laughs> um, I was irritated that um, he was trying to put me in this box. Like I had to be XYZ all the time. I have to be happy, I have to be smiling, I have to be joyful, I have to be, I don't know, this is Catherine over here in this box. And so I got a little irritated with William. <laughs> and then it took my roommate, <laughs> me venting to my roommate about it, saying like, why, did, why does he care so much about who I am? Why does he care so much about how I live my life? Why is he so paranoid over who Catherine is? <laughs> Why does he keep commenting about it? Like, I just wanted to live my little life and like be let alone. Like, why does he keep aggravating me with this? And she was like, are you kidding me right now? And I was like, what? She's like, literally, God is using you right now to show someone what having Jesus in their heart looks like on a day-to-day -day basis. Literally, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, God's using you to show someone what having Jesus in your heart looks like and you're sitting here frustrated because you think that this guy who doesn't have Jesus is trying to put you in a little box 
because that's what I have felt that people tried to do to me my whole life. Like, oh, this is Catherine. Like, she's the little, oh, she's the sweet one. She's got a smile. You know, this, that, and the other. Like, people tried to put me in that box, and I just wanted to be a regular person at times, too. Well, I just translated that frustration into this situation and lost the sight of the fact that God was using me in this. And so it took the entire semester for me to realize how much I was being used on the daily. And then I was able to comment to him and we, able, we were able to talk about our faith with each other. And he did not believe, of course, in Jesus, but um, I was able to share with him why I believed and then slowly make comments about, well, hey, like, I prayed about that, or I know that I'm supposed to be in this class right now, and I know it's going to work out fine because I've been praying about it for so long or whatever. So I was able to do some things like that. I obviously wasn't supposed to be the person who brought William to Christ, or at least not yet. I probably will never have a class with him again because I'm not a biology major, and he is. And I'm through with all of those classes. But I was able to be a light for him at least part of the way. So... I felt like I was supposed to share with you this testimony. I hope that I said everything that I was supposed to. <laughs> um, but anyway, someone in this audience is supposed to hear that, and I hope that you can be encouraged. Um, but also in the fact that, yes, this happened to me, and that is the most biggest blessing ever because I now can know in my heart that I have a situation that's happened in my life where this has happened. We talk about it all the time. Pastor Paul talks about it all the time to us, saying, like, God can use you in this. God can use you in that. It can be a hard situation, and God can use you. And some people in the trial can think, oh, yeah, yeah, well, not me. No, that's not how it is. So that's why I shared that with you today and not saying that that's how I live my life all the time. I hope to goodness it is, but I have bad days too. I don't live like that all the time with a smile on my face, but I hope that the majority of the time I can and can show people that. So. Thank you for it. <laughs> so come on, let's stand up together. Van's uh, going to lead us in that simple course about remembering. I want you to remember what God has done. Uh, thank you for the testimony that helps us to do that. Because remembering what he's done is what's going to set us up for what's coming next.